Hello. In this episode, for the first time on Health on the Line, I'll be speaking to an NHSE National Director, and we couldn't have chosen a more timely guest. Let me quote from a national policy document that's come into my possession. It starts, The current model of primary care is under strain. Due to a combination of demographic shifts, growth in demand, workforce constraints, rising public expectations, more complex comorbidities, and the treatment backlog. This was the case pre-pandemic, but it has been exacerbated by COVID-19 and the treatment backlog it has created. End quote. So this is the context in which we are hearing almost every day of the need to reform primary care. It even featured on an item on the Today programme the other day. So with primary care and general practice under the spotlight, with the NHS Confed's new primary care network just a few weeks old and rapidly expanding, who better to speak with than today's guest? New ideas. Big debates. Meeting the changemakers. Transforming services. I'm Matthew Taylor, and this is Health on the Line, brought to you by the NHS Confederation. I'm delighted to welcome Nikki Kanani, who's a GP in South East London, but also Medical Director of Primary Care for NHS England, and someone also who shot to national prominence, given your frequent appearance, Nikki, in government press conferences during COVID. What was it like to be famous? <laughs> oh, hello, Matthew. Thank you so much for having me. And it is a real pleasure to join you. I think the the interesting thing for me about, uh, I don't really see it as fame, as you can imagine. It was more um, a very unusual set of circumstances, um, which culminated in a couple of interesting articles where my children's names were made up as were their ages. So really, the biggest thing that then happened was my children were incredibly frustrated that their fame had been um, uh, shot at by uh, uh, by um, a little bit of uh, poor journalistic um, style. So um, it was it it was never part of the job description, as you can imagine, um, and it's not something that I aspire to. It was really um, important to me, though, um, in the press conferences, uh, particularly that I was there representing not only a part of the sector that isn't often spoken about, primary care, um, but also um, I was standing there as a woman and a woman of colour. Um, and I can't tell you, every single time I was on that podium, I would have messages, sometimes hundreds, from particularly women of colour saying, thank you, we see you, we feel seen. Um, we feel represented in a way that clearly hadn't been the case at all in in, in previous press conferences or or, or, or other kind of public uh, uh, sort of uh, displays or events. Often, you know, we don't see what we, uh, you know, the breadth, the brilliant breadth of our community. Um, so, so that's probably the thing that meant more to me than any associated uh, fame. So Nikki, I, I, I want to get into this conversation about the future of of primary care but 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 first i'm really interested in your own experience as a gp over the last two years over the pandemic what have been the main challenges but also the kind of main successes and learning points for you in terms of your own practice over the last couple of years oh that's a, that's a lovely question to start with thank you matthew because general practice is still my heart and my soul i love being a gp for all the reasons that 
people would describe um, if, if they're working in general practice, that connection to a local community is incredible. Um, so I work one day a week in South East London. Um, and when the pandemic started, it was really important to me to continue to work, uh, not just in general practice, but in our hot clinics as we were setting them up recognising that as we were designing and describing kind of national operating guidance, um, I needed to um, live it and experience it as a GP as well. Um, and it meant that, um, you know, uh, even before the pandemic, being in general practice every week helps me to be connected to what's important, to, to people, to patients, to understand uh, what needs to change at different levels of the system um, in order to make sure that people get the care that they that they need, that we can create um, a health system and a primary care system particularly that is equitable. You know, through the pandemic, um, having to deliver care uh, particularly in the early days when we didn't really, you know, we didn't know what was happening, where people uh, were initially just, you know, coming into the surgery. It was a terrifying time. And then I got the incredible opportunity to work on the vaccination programme. So then being in a practice that was vaccinating was a real joy. So it really took me on a journey from real, you know, darkness to real joy, where I could be delivering vaccinations and helping to get our communities back to the lives that they love. So the things that I sort of learned is that the role that general practice particularly has, but but we should talk about the breadth of primary care um, at some stage, but the role that general practice particularly has as, as being that anchor point, that linking to a community is key. Um, and we were changing the model of general practice before the pandemic for all the reasons you described so well when you read out that uh, that intro uh, page from that document. The pandemic only heightened the need to evolve the model that's been pretty fixed since, you know, 19. 19- 48. And so for me, that kind of looking forward, creating that equitable primary care system that is genuinely joined up and integrated and, and part of an ICS, part of a system, is, is the way that we're going to make sure that we maintain that connection with the community, but that we really focus um, our he- efforts and our care on people who, who need it most. One of the challenges, obviously, for primary care is, is, is around recruiting and retaining people to be general practitioners and and I, I want to just look because we're talking about you as a GP right now let, let's explore that at the moment what, what how do we make general practice more attractive and sustainable as a career and, and and what do you glean from the fact that for example we've seen so many general practitioners want to move to fewer hours in in recent times there are a number of reasons why particularly GPs have changed the way that they work. We have a model that works really well for um, some parts of general practice, but not for others. Um, So if you look at our locum or our flexible workforce, it is now 70% female. The vast majority are individuals from ethnic minority backgrounds. Many have caring responsibilities. So our workforce has shifted. They want to work in a different way. That, That traditional sort of 10 sessions or uh, 0.8 whole time equivalent just isn't the way that particularly GPs want to work. But actually, I think this is a workforce issue more generally. You know, when I talk to GPs, uh, particularly what they say is, you know, I want to do general practice, but A, it's really hard work. And B, I actually want to do other stuff as well. And that might be teaching or supervision. 
that might be um, clinical leadership in other roles in the system, that might be working in A&E or, you know, at the front door of, of an urgent care centre. And all of those are important alongside the caring responsibilities that an individual might have. And so where I, where we were sort of starting to get to just before the pandemic is we described the primary care network model and the contract associated with that was here are a series of tools that you can use to create a more supported, more flexible workforce. Um, so, for example, people being able to work as, uh, you know, a sessional GP across a set of practices working within a primary care network. So they get a range of practices to work in um, and get that kind of diversity of portfolio without having to sort of move across systems or across geography. So they've still got that local connection to place. So general practice, like every other bit of system, is doing a phenomenal job, but we are all going to feel that pressure, that exhaustion after the last two and a half years for some time to come. So bringing in the additional staff, both general practice uh, in terms of GPs, but also the additional roles that we've described is really key now so that we can create the capacity in general practice for the coming uh, years, but also give people the uh, right care experience for their, their care needs. So, you know, often um, I will see somebody and I'm not the best person to look after them. It might be that actually what they need is a social prescriber or the pharmacist or the physiotherapist. And what I want us to get back to is that description of a multidisciplinary team in general practice with the GP um, acting as kind of the conductor of that team, offering the right care pathway for an individual but also um, working um, as a GP at the top of their license. So, you know, we have this incredible opportunity now to start to redefine what long-term condition management looks like. What is multimorbidity? How can we look at a person as a whole rather than a series of individual conditions? And that's really where I'm kind of striving to get um, our model of general practice to sort of work towards now. And is it also, Nikki, about, about career development? I remember... A GP saying to me that, you know, the, the, the kind of traditional model is that you do your years of training, you become a, a general practitioner in your mid to late 20s, and then essentially that's it until you retire. You're basically going to be doing the same work, and there isn't enormous amount of scope for career development unless you're kind of growing a partnership. That was the kind of model before. So it's, it's part of the story that we need to have more career development opportunities for ambitious GPs. Yeah, absolutely, Matthew, spot on. So what we see around the country is where um, practices have come together with either a good federation offering support or in some cases a, a sort of super partnership model or a horizontal or vertical integration with other partners in, in, in the local system. Uh, there, the GPs specifically, you know, uh, but the wider team as well, get that additional uh, career development and a kind of a, a, a pipeline, a journey, a story, a set of opportunities that, you know, everyone wants through their career or many people want through their career. Um, and we, we absolutely need to find ways to create those journeys for GPs. And, and this is part of why our workforce has, has changed so much since, um, well, even in the last 10 years, because people want career um, flexibility, but also, um, you know, people want to try different things. So we do need to create more of those opportunities. And that's very hard to do at a single practice level. But then that ability to layer on support, whether it's through the PCN or a federation or at a system level, is really key. And that's and that's why the, the, the integration of primary care into our emerging ICSs is, is really critical here, because actually ICSs can take that kind of 
umbrella view of uh, of the patch that they are responsible for and create really exciting opportunities for all parts of the system to learn from each other and, and develop from each other. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming you welcome the fact that, that, that primary care is being talked about, but do you have frustrations about the way in which the debate is structured? Do you think that the way in which we tend to talk about it is is problematic? I mean, for example, it tends to be seen through the lens of the decline of public trust or the assumption that it's very, very hard to get an appointment. Do you feel that the debate is in the right place? I don't think that the debate is in the right place. I, wel- I, I welcome the discussion about what primary care needs to look like as we move forward. Um, but no, we are coming from a sort of deficit position often, rather than thinking about what primary care in, in, in its widest, best sense is about. And, and within that, I do think we need to talk much more clearly about the other contracted professions as well. I think particularly here, community pharmacy, you have a really key role in helping to not just um, shift care uh, upstream into the prevention space, making sure that people have an opportunity to access care no matter their background or their lived experience. Um, but I do think we need to be talking about kind of primary care as, as, as that traditional gateway to the NHS and what it needs to what it needs to become. But I think we do need to do that with people, with citizens, with patients. If we do it in a bubble or in isolation, it, it clearly just will not hold because the public has a very strong relationship, a very emotive relationship with their general practice. But but our public are in very different places. So if you look at kind of generations that were used to that that specific name GP relationship um, and compare it to maybe my children who are 10 and nearly 14, you know, they will have very different relationships with healthcare, with general practice. And so we need to start to look forward to the sort of care that generations to come will need from, from general practice as well. This challenge of, of thinking about primary care, not just general practice, thinking about the broader team, the additional roles in, in primary care. One of the points that I've heard, in fact, you and I were, were at dinner the other day where I heard this said, but actually I heard it most eloquently from Charlotte Augst from, um, from National Voices, is I remember talking to Charlotte about this and she said that the thing is that what the public want from an interaction with a health professional is they want someone they can trust, but also someone who they think can actually get something done. And that part of the challenge is that the public don't necessarily yet feel that when they engage with other members of the primary care team, they may not trust that person in the same way as they've trust they've come to trust their GP. But also they may not feel that person can get something done. They may feel that if something needs to be done, that person will then refer them on to the GP, as it were. So it's a kind of gateway to the GP. So we have to engage the public in understanding that interactions in primary care, not with general practitioners, are not simply a gateway to get to the real thing you want, which is the GP. Uh, absolutely. So Charlotte and I have, have, have spoken about this and she describes it so well, as, as, as you say. Um I, th- I think it's very mixed. So if you look at some practices and some partnerships, uh, that that's definitely not the case. You know, the multidisciplinary team is supported to be an independent, autonomous practitioner. Um, so where we've got additional roles, um, our pharmacists, our physiotherapists, our paramedics are able to offer the care that they want to end to end. You know, they don't need to come back to us as the GP team. Uh, to clear stuff unless it's part of a multidisciplinary conversation you know for 
for, for, for support and reflection. Um, but that's not the case across the country. There are definitely models where it does work, but we do still have a way to go. Um, and and we, we need to do that as part of the wider communication piece with the public, um, but not just uh, here at NHS England. That needs to be through government, um, the Department of Health. It needs to be through our key colleagues, stakeholders, the college, yourselves, you know, helping the public and the profession understand the evolution of the what we've always described as the more traditional model of general practice. You talked a bit before about ICSs, uh, Nikki, and and, uh, and I was reflecting with, with Claire Fuller the other day just that what's important is it's not just a list of things that ICSs have to do, but what's really important is that ICSs see the support of primary care and the renewal of primary care is absolutely integral to their role as ICSs, that they cannot do what ICSs are required to do unless they have that engagement with primary care. And one of the things that Claire said to me is that is that some ICSs really get that and they absolutely get it. And, and for others, it's still a bit of a, a journey. It's still a bit of a, oh, primary care, is that really what we ought to be doing? Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly see that mix. Um, and and as she says, so so Claire's work is um, you know the, the, there's some broad themes uh, sort of emerging as 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 you touched on, um, but it is it is much more than a a set of asks as you say. It has to be about a kind of a, a shift in culture and behaviour because actually, if as an ICS chief exec or you know sort of designate um, chief exec, you're looking at your community. And if you're genuinely thinking about how you're putting the person at the centre of the care that you want to deliver, and if you're genuinely thinking about uh, your responsibility to reduce health inequalities and unwarranted variation in care, we have to start in general practice and with the wider primary care team. So, you know, my urge to ICS leaders would be, you know, start to understand what primary care looks like in your system, how it functions. Does it join up? What bits don't? Where are the gaps? Where are people falling through holes? Um, where are the conversations with the kind of clinical leadership? And how are we making sure that that is informing the decisions that you're making um, so that we are collaborating in a way that um, is, is entirely right for the, the citizen and the community that you're there to lead um, and, and and support. So where we were talking about sort of training and development opportunities, is, you know, that cannot be something that an ICS leadership level is um, purely directed to, you know, acute trust staff, for example. It has to be about, you know, creating the, or taking all of the different resources that sit in different pots around the system, pulling it together and thinking about how we support an, a really inclusive approach to building a culture that is about the whole system. And and that will be the breadth of kind of NHS and local government um, so that we have a real kind of partnership approach starting with the community and, and building out from there. And that's absolutely vital at kind of system level. But actually, I suspect that the more kind of granular engagement of primary care is going to be at the level of place and particular at the level of, of locality. Um. And for me, Nick, and I'm interested as to whether you share this view, the, the really exciting possibility here is the role that primary care can play in a shift that we need to accomplish in the health service, which is away from a service which meets demand 
to move to a service that meets need. And and you speak eloquently about health inequalities. And one of the things I admire about you is that you, you don't kind of say, well, look, here's my job, here's primary care, let's talk about that. Oh, by the way, health inequalities. You, Whenever I hear you speak, health inequalities, it's absolutely at the very front and center of your of, of your narrative. So on this journey where we, 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 we see primary care as doing population health management, as moving away from this kind of idea of, look, I'll sit in the surgery and see who turns up and into, I'm going to go out there and find out where the need is and be involved in prevention and secondary prevention. For me, that's, that's the really exciting idea here in terms of going back to our earlier conversation about the, the, the future model of general practice as well in terms of population health management. Is that, is, that a, is that at the heart of your vision as well, Nikki? It really is. I mean, I, um, we're lucky we're, we're on a podcast because I'm sort of slightly bouncy in my seat now. Um, what we learned through the vaccination programme um, has to set a different expectation for the NHS. And by that, I mean... I was able to, um, both as, 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 as you know, as the deputy uh, vaccine lead, but also as a GP, I was able to, through the data and the analytics that we had, look at a street level up the road from our practice and see where there were gaps in uptake. And where there were gaps in uptake in the black African community up the road, there was a black African church with a black-led um, team uh, who we went to talk to and said, you know, we've, we, we haven't got the uptake that we want in this community. Can we come and run a vaccine clinic? And initially, quite rightly, they said no, because they didn't know us. They didn't understand who we were and why we were there. There was a level of suspicion. But we built a relationship and we were able to go in and offer a vaccine clinic. We were able to get members of the congregation vaccinated and protected. And that has fundamentally changed our relationship with a part of the local community. And so now, you know, what we need to be doing and what we're talking about um, at a local level, but actually we should we, we, we are talking about this, you know, sort of nationally, is how do we now design and deliver health services that go to people, that reach into underserved communities? I mean, one of the phrases I, I detest the most is hard to reach. I'll, Nikki, I'll give you a quote about hard to reach, which yeah. you'll love, which is somebody once said to me, the problem in politics is hard to reach groups and there's no harder to reach group than politicians. <laughs> so and this is it, right? We have, we've started to learn as a health system and, and particularly in general practice through the vaccine programme, you know, how to get into communities, how to build trust and offer care that will fundamentally shift that curve and that gap that is there. And we have to embed that into the rest of the healthcare that we deliver. Actually, wider than that, you know, it's wider than healthcare, but if we just focus on the healthcare. So yes, I'm really excited about our, our ability now to use the relationships that we've developed with our communities and turn that into a platform uh, for a different kind of health service, a different kind of health offer that genuinely is equitable and actually reflects the needs of the local population. So yes, uh, that is definitely part of the you know where we have to go towards. And 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 actually, you know, when I talk to my colleagues about this, that that's what really excites them. They are so. Uh, energized in a really tiring t- at a really tiring time they're really energized to come together um for their communities 
and, and data it can be transformative here isn't it and and actually the way the understanding that general practitioners will have the primary care team will have of their population in order for example to take forward programs like anticipatory care or secondary prevention that's absolutely going to be critical isn't it mm, absolutely and I was so spoiled in the in the vaccine program because I was I was seeing data uploads every hour. So if you think about flu data, it has been so tricky for the flu team because you know they get data which is it's a six month look back. In the vaccine program, I was looking every day, every hour at the vaccines given by geography, by delivery model. I could see when people were having lunch breaks because you could see the drop in vaccines being delivered. I could see how late people were working. Um, I could see uptake shift, you know, hour to hour. That sort of data is phenomenal. When you see that, you can really act in it. And so one of the things, though, that means is, I, I, you know, I think we're quite good at data in general practice. We've had to use it for a long time um, in, in lots of different ways, whether that's quaff or other things. But actually, if, if you're listening as an ICS leader, what I'd like you to think about is, right, how do we use the data and analytics that are now at our fingertips and, and wrap that around the, the, the practice, the PCN, the place, so that you can really use that data in a powerful way. So when I was a CCG accountable officer, um, you know, we were putting data out and uh, sort of um, we were using analytical tools and putting data into the hands of the practice. But we were, we were translating that as well because, we, you know, we don't often have time to sort of work through the implications of the data we see. So what we were helping practices to do at that stage was like, these are the three or four things that you might want to look at as a practice in order to develop your anticipatory care approach, for example. Um, so that real population health management approach, but with the help and support of the kind of the, the data and the analytics and the translation services that sit behind that. So um, as we work as an ICS, let's make sure that we really allow and empower our teams to use the data at their fingertips because then you can go into the local church and you can go into the local gurdwara you can go to the local community center and design a health offer that is better for their, that that community and the other side of course of that is going to be the importance of getting data sharing right between not just primary and secondary but between primary and community and and critically of course adult social care as well because we want to build services around people you know, a point that that again that Tim Ferriss often makes is we we talk a lot about continuity of care and for some people continuity of care is really important and it's it's one of the things that makes primary care special but also there's continuity of data is also important that people don't have to explain everything once again to every person that they meet but there is a sense that the service is wrapped around the individual rather than the individual having to find their way around the service. So we're on the journey, aren't we? I love the fact that I can go on my app, uh, my NHS app, and I can see the conversation that I've had with my healthcare professional and my results and everything else all in one place. Um, but we've got we've got quite a way to go still to make sure that everyone gets that benefit. I'm, I was lucky. Uh, I'm lucky to work in Southeast London where we do have a joined up uh, healthcare record. So when a patient comes in, if they say, "Well, I had this," you know, this happened at the at the hospital can you see I mean I, ha I actually I had that recently I had somebody come in with um it's called malignant diagnosed with a malignant hypertension so really really high blood pressure they'd gone to A&E they'd had a series of tests done and they came in to see me um, and I was monitoring their blood pressure and they sort of said oh you know uh, Dr Kanani have you 
have you seen the results? Do you know what's going on? And it was lovely to be able to click on the kind of connect care piece um, and see, you know, see all the all the stuff that the, the hospital had done. And then I can I can make a more informed uh, set of uh, decisions as, as their GP, but actually I can have a, a better, more informed conversation with them as individuals. And um, we've we've got a journey to go on. I do think that some of the key enablers are in place um, and we've got that kind of drive and vision from people like Tim, I think actually from... Uh, government as much as from ourselves to 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 get to that place of a proper joined up uh, record and um, a, a, a real ability to offer continuity to our patients in lots of different ways and as you say continuity is different for different people um, and what we we don't want to do is, is is get into that box of thinking well continuity is only important if you're uh, frail or elderly or multimorbid that that's not the case it's different types of continuity at different times for, for different people and in different ways uh, so continuity for me as well is uh, my ability to text patients and that text pulls into the records if I text them something and I'll send them some links and they might reply back with a photo or a bit of a, an update on their their condition that all goes into the record so it's a it's an asynchronous and emerging conversation that I'm having with with my patients. And that definitely makes me a better GP. And I think it gives them a better experience of, of, of their healthcare as well. So, Nick, we're drawing to an end. I've just got a couple more, more, more questions. And the first one is, is going back to the event that you and I were at, hosted by, by NHSE. And I, I was... Um, I was chatting to someone over coffee and I said, what did you make of the first session? And they said, well, you know, NHSE, it's partly mothership and it's partly dark star, which I, <laughs> which made me laugh a lot. Um, and the reason I say that is because, you know, I mean, I'm an enormous admirer of, of NHSE and Amanda and Amanda's team and, 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 and the and national directors like yourself. But in a sense, there is a particular conversation which takes place between the centre and leaders out in the field. And we like to think in the ComFed that because we are more of a kind of peer-to-peer, leader-to-leader, clinician-to-clinician kind of space, it's a slightly different space. So I guess my question for you, Nikki, is that we've now launched our primary care network, bringing together federations and PCNs. What, what are your aspirations for how we use that network as a, as a sort of source of challenge and support for primary care? So I'm really excited about this, Matthew. I think we've needed this for a while. Um, and this is a real opportunity and a shift, actually, that I think a lot of us wanted to see. I think that there's a couple of opportunities here. One is I want the primary care network to push us. I want the network and, and we do, you know, we've got a really good relationship already. I want that network to be um telling us a, a ahead of uh, the, the curve and saying you know this is what's coming up but also telling us when we've got things wrong because actually I think we're moving to a much more uh, transparent place where we will talk about you know how we might do things uh, from the centre the mothership um, and they might not be the right answers all the time you know so um, how do we learn how do we iterate how do we say actually you know we've got this wrong but thanks to you in this example primary your network we can shift it we can um learn and do better and and that really excites me so um that kind of robust challenge is exactly what um i want and um, but also i want to be able to have a relationship with the primary care network where we really learn what's going on and and, and the art of the possible because actually the more we hear that the you know the, the more we can help uh nationally uh point all of our kind of uh 
our tools and levers in that direction. So not only do you, you know, you need to tell us what we need to do better and differently, but you need to help steer the mothership <laughs> into the right direction because that's that you know that's that's gonna help to shape, genuinely shape what happens um as we as we go forward. And I, I'm really keen to uh keep working with that the the leadership of, of the network um to make sure that you have a strong voice um and that you are able to help us understand what needs to happen thanks nikki and just and just to say f- from our perspective it's not just about challenging you challenging the center but it's also creating the kind of spaces where primary leaders can challenge each other and i think sometimes it's harder to do that when the people who oversee you are there so so i actually believe that in some senses those peer to peer spaces can be more honest spaces for people to 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 talk about what's working what isn't working what they feel vulnerable about and to and to challenge each other to do better but let me let me end with a little bit of kind of i don't know sunny uplands a bit of vision it's 2030 nikki you're looking out on a renewed primary care system what would be the two or three things that would really feel different if we get it right in terms of the way we go about primary care over the next few years so the first thing that i would like to be able to see uh, in 2030 is i think i think let's go back to that point about how we take healthcare to people to communities so i'd like to be able to look out and see many more examples of communities feeling like their health service is connected to them, that it's culturally sensitive, that it is relevant, that it is equitable, because that's the real foundation of, you know, uh, addressing uh, the health inequalities that we see and closing that gap. So I'd like to see a much more flexible, much more energised set of teams who are caring for their community, who feel like they are able to um, design and deliver services in a way that feels relevant to their local place. And because of that, the, the kind of the consequence, I'd like to see a workforce who feels like they can breathe again, Matthew, that they can love their job and feel supported and valued and respected um, and that they are able to do their very best every day because we've created the systems and the support networks around the teams so they have that space you know and they are able to really thrive um, and and therefore we've got a system that you know it, it almost doesn't matter what the model looks like vertically integrated horizontally integrated who you're integrated with that's not the point. The point is, how do we get a set of services to come together around an individual in a way that allows the workforce to to fly? And I think by 2030, we can really make a huge amount of progress to do that so that, you know, my kids get a, you know, a different health offer than, than my grandparents did, but one that reflects what they need. And, um, allows them to still feel as engaged with their health service and as proud of their health service as all of us are. Well, what what a wonderful way to end, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Health on the Line. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Health on the Line from the NHS Confederation. Visit nhsconfed.org for more information about us and to register for events and webinars that delve deeper into the issues explored in this podcast. And save the date for NHS Confed Expo, the premier event in the health and care calendar, taking place on the 15th and 16th of June 2022 in Liverpool. <laughs>